Chapter 11 She was safe. Thank God that stupid little crackhead was safe. At least from anyone connected with Pablo Hernandez. For a moment, I thought about making a U-turn in the middle of the intersection and driving straight back to Puccini's to tell Barnes I'd heard from Sarah. Oh, what good would it do anyway? I didn't know where she was, and I told her the cops wanted to talk to her. I couldn't just hand her over to the police, particularly if they thought she was responsible for that body in the back of her car. I'd never get another P.I. job in this town if I did. As much as it tugged at me, my allegiance wasn't to the police. My allegiance was to her father, who was, at best, a divisive figure in this community, and apparently at odds with his daughter. Then again, I wasn't paid to believe in his story, which was coming up more than a little false. I was simply paid to believe in his $500 check, at least until it ran out, which, as I figured quickly in my head, was pretty close. I needed to remember to ask Mary Margaret to start the billing timer on this account on Monday. But why, then, did she not want to get in touch with her dad? What was going on there? What was the deal with that you-could-get-me-killed bullshit? Obviously, she wasn't afraid of anyone associated with Pablo Hernandez, who really could get her killed. She also didn't sound like she was truly afraid of her father. She sounded like a teenager afraid of being grounded after denting the family car. OMG, my parents are going to kill me. Chase wouldn't do that, would he? He knew her struggle with addiction and still made sure she had a roof over her head. And until it caught fire, a vehicle to drive. Even though he'd initially lied about it, he'd seen her working at the Cat's Meow when he came at Tony Repetto's request to get Ed Nash. That couldn't have been easy. But then she wasn't an angel, and he was a bit of a bastard. Even worse, it looked like they both knew the truth about each other. I needed to call Chase. He would give me answers. Or would he? It didn't matter. There was no answer from his cell phone, no answer on the drill site's office phone, and no answer at his hotel room where he'd been staying since the fire. I left the same message on three phones. I've heard from Sarah. She doesn't sound like she's in any danger, but she does sound like she's not happy you're looking for her. You're also at the end of your $500 retainer. Let me know how you want to proceed. Hell, give it up, Fitz. It's Saturday night. You know Sarah is alive. Go home. You've got dinner at Katie's tomorrow to look forward to. The car behind me honked, and I realized I was just sitting at the stop sign. I put the excursion in gear and headed back home. What do I get a 16-year-old girl for her birthday? I balanced the phone on my shoulder as I watched the butter bubble around an over-easy egg frying in the pan. At the other end of the line, Katie laughed. That's easy, Nico. Cash. So I can grab Rosie a card, stuff a 20 in it, and she's happy? She'll be thrilled. Hang on. I tried to flip the egg and cursed as the yolk broke, snaking into the melted butter. Damn, I need to learn how to cook. You need a woman, Nico. Katie. I scraped the now-scrambled egg into a paper plate. I sliced a tomato into it and dusted the whole thing with dried basil. If Gracie had been alive, the basil would have been fresh from a pot on the windowsill. The tomato would have come from a small patch in our backyard and the yolk would have been intact. 
I stopped for a second to let the memory wash over me. Was the pain ever going to stop? And why did everyone seem to want me back at the dating game all of a sudden? I'm sorry, Nico. I'll quit bringing it up. We're going to the 11 o'clock mass at St. Rita's. You want to go with us? Lunch will be at 1. No, I don't think so. The thought of being in one of two entire pews of Fitzhugh families made me shiver. I walked over to the worn farmhouse table with its mismatched antique chairs and sat down. Suddenly, my scrambled eggs tasted rubbery and the tomato was mush. I dropped my fork onto the plate and pushed away from the table. It would be a cold beer again for dinner. I gotta go, Katie. I'll see you at one. I heard my sister sigh. Okay, Nico. I'll see you tomorrow. The call ended. I laid the phone down on the table and picked up my plate to dump it in the trash. It was going to be another long night. I pulled a yingling from the fridge, twisted off the cap, and tossed it toward the trash can. It missed. Of course. I sighed and walked into the living room to flop down on the couch. Cleveland and Kansas City were starting the second of a doubleheader on ESPN. I stopped flipping through the channels to watch. Mozart the cat jumped into my lap, purring as I aimlessly pet him. The game was halfway through the third inning and the Indians were already down by two runs when a knock sounded on the door. I sat Mozart on the floor and stood. Move, cat. I think it's Chase Hawksworth getting back to me. It wasn't. Alicia leaned against the doorframe with a pizza balanced on one hand and six yoked-together beer cans hanging from the other. Her jeans were tight, accentuating her plump hips, and the deep V of her lime green t-shirt reminded me of what I found nestled against my back just a few days ago. Her cornflower blue eyes were serious behind her dark glasses. Hey, Fitz. Hey, Alicia. I opened the door wide and gestured for her to come in. What brings you here? You have news on Sarah? No, this is something else. I know we talked on Friday, but there's some things I still need to say. I didn't want them said at the office. She walked past me into the kitchen and set the pizza down on the table. Yeah, I heard from Barnes that your staff thinks that you and I are an item. Probably because we argued about sex in my office. That sure as hell didn't help. I didn't realize until you left there was a transom at the top of that old door and it was open. Everybody heard every word. She grimaced, pulled a beer out from its plastic ring, popped the top, and handed it to me. Great. I had a bad feeling I knew where this was heading, and I didn't want to hear it. I need to tell you something, Fitz. No, Alicia, I need to tell you something. I set the beer down on the table and clasped her upper arms. I know why you're here. No, you don't. I wanted to... I kept going as if being louder than her would get my point across better. When you see me, you're not seeing who I really am, Alicia. I have this reputation of being one cocky son of a bitch where women are concerned. That was true once upon a time. All I wanted was a notch on my bedpost, a conquest, and I was on to the next woman. I didn't care whether or not anyone's feelings were hurt. Now I'm stuck with that reputation, and this town won't ever forget that or let it go. I'm just not that man anymore. Fitz, shut up. Just shut up. Alicia pulled away and looked at me, exasperated. Do you ever let anyone else talk? Christ. I'm sorry. I picked up the beer, took a swig, and we both sat down. What did you want to tell me? I wanted to tell you that I haven't been real honest with you either. 
I raised my eyebrows. Alicia Litterman never made any bones about it. She was after me and had been for a long time. Had that been a game, too? My dealings with her began when she first came to Fawcettville as an assistant prosecutor. It had been on a case where a defense lawyer had hired me to help his client beat a murder rap. One of the suspects in that murder had been a hot-headed young FPD cop named Reno Elliott. Turns out, Alicia had been dating Reno. His alibi for not being at the scene of the victim's murder was that he had been beating up the then-assistant prosecutor at the time. From that point on, Alicia became one of my stronger allies, even after she got elected to the big job. We'd worked together closely ever since, despite the flirting back and forth. Now, unfortunately, I knew what it took to cross that line. It wasn't much, and it looked like I'd really complicated my life. What do you mean? I know this is hard for you to believe, you being God's gift to women and all, but you aren't the only man in my life. And I'm not the kind of woman who has to sit back and wait for somebody. I know, a real surprise, right? I flinched at her sarcasm. I deserve that. Yes, you do. Truth is, I've been seeing someone for some time. What happened between us Wednesday night made me realize it wasn't right. What wasn't right? Between you and me or you and this other guy? Who is it? For a moment, I felt a little chagrined at having opened up like that, assuming her intention was to throw herself at me. Maybe I'm still thinking with something other than my brain. This other guy. His name doesn't matter. He's a probate lawyer in Akron. We've been seeing each other for three, maybe four weeks. So how did you meet him? Really, Fitz? Really? Is that any of your damn business? What are you, my father? She gasped and covered her mouth. I thought Alicia was in her mid-thirties, which meant there was about twenty years between us. I could have been her father. I'm sorry. That's okay. Tell me about him. She sighed and continued her story. I, I met him online, a dating site for legal professionals. We went out, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven times, and you know how it's not easy being in this business. Hours can be long, a lot of stress. It's difficult to make space for someone in your life. You know all that. But this guy seemed to really try, so I gave him a chance. Is he a nice guy? He checks all the right date night boxes. He pays for everything. He picks me up in his Porsche Roadster. Owns a condo downtown. He's polite. Unlike a certain P.I. I know, this guy wasn't handsy. She looked up at me and smirked. I smiled crookedly and let her continue. So the last time I saw him was the weekend before the Hernandez case. Right before you, Mary Margaret, and I took Sarah to that hotel for safekeeping. We had a nice night out. Drinks and dinner, theater, all that good stuff. And afterward, we headed back to his condo. And in the morning, I looked at him and realized... There was nothing there. So the sex was that bad? I shot her a devilish look. No, you idiot, the sex wasn't bad. And I wouldn't tell you if it was. I just felt at that moment that probate boy wasn't for me. She stopped long enough to open a beer for herself and take a sip. So I left. All the way home, I'm really taking a hard look at myself, trying to decide if I was throwing away what would have been a nice life with a decent guy because all I seem to be attracted to is bad boys. You know, like you. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. She shot me half a smile and kept talking. So, we get all wrapped up in the Hernandez case and all that happened afterward. You're clear on those details, I'm sure. Actually, I only remember about half. 
But I seem to remember you filled me in. Yeah, that's why I'm in the mess I'm in. On my way home from your place Thursday morning, I called probate boy and broke up with him. You didn't. I did. She opened the pizza box and pulled out a thick triangle of pie covered in glistening pepperoni. She shoved the box across the table. Take a piece before it gets cold. We shouldn't have dumped that guy. Well, I did, but here's why I'm here now. Probate boy wants me back. I don't want to go back, or at least I don't think I do. So, why does all this involve me? I need to get you out of my system. You're kidding. No, Fitz, I'm not. You said it yourself. We've been flirting back and forth for years before Wednesday night happened. Maybe there's something there between us. Maybe there isn't. I just want to make sure of it before I let what could be a perfectly nice man walk permanently out of my life. Alicia, this could be a real conflict of interest for us professionally. Do you ever stop interrupting? I'm not finished. Then, on top of everything, after I dumped this other guy, essentially because I had hopes for you and me, all of a sudden you quit returning my calls. Then you came into my office to say everything you said and, well, you know why I was so pissed off. I told you Wednesday night wasn't something I wanted to happen. I still miss Gracie, and I don't want to jeopardize our working relationship. I was flabbergasted, off-center and out of control. What the hell is going on here? I, I feel like I'm negotiating a plea bargain. Here's my proposal. One night, one date, a real date. Let's give this thing that's been bubbling between us a chance to maybe turn into something, or maybe get it through my damned thick head that what I thought we had is just what it's always been. Flirt. I don't know. Let me think about it. Come on, Fitz. Give it a chance. She leaned in toward me. Her hand caressed my cheek as her face came closer to mine. Her perfume was familiar and sweet, and I couldn't help leaning into her soft, welcoming lips. I pulled her onto my lap and we wrapped our arms around each other, exploring each other's mouths and necks. I held her tighter, caressing her back and wishing I could remember more of the details of Wednesday night. Or maybe we could just make more memories. My fingertips slid beneath the hem of her t-shirt, feeling the burning heat of her skin. She gasped softly and smiled at me. I closed my eyes and suddenly... It wasn't Alicia sitting in my lap smiling at me. It was Gracie. That's it. I'm done. I can't. I can't. Come on, Fitz. Please. I pushed her off my lap. Okay, here's the deal. I'll go out with you. We'll explore this. This. Whatever this is. But I'll tell you right now that afterwards you need to go back to that Porsche driving probate lawyer and tell him you made a very big mistake and that you want him back. She leaned over and kissed my cheek. Wednesday night then. Meet me at my place, six o'clock. You won't regret it. God, I hope I do. I really hope you do too.